right. Father, I just praise you and thank you for who you are. I glorify your name. You're wonderful. You're marvelous. Oh, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Oh, God, you are the maker of the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. Oh, God, all things have been made by you, and they were made for your pleasure and for our enjoyment as well as your created beings put here on this earth to be your imagers. So we praise you and we thank you. We look forward to you speaking to us. We look forward to the unction of the Holy Spirit and working and moving in our midst. Anoint our eyes, our ears, and our hearts, O Lord, to hear what your Spirit is saying in this hour, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I had, I was telling Dina earlier, I I knew I'd been asked by the pastor on Saturday to uh, minister. And I thought, nothing's coming right to my, <laughs> leaping right to mind. So, of course, I think it was uh, Sunday night, I started to dream. This is usually what happens to me. I, start, I dream the word before I bring the word. <laughs> and so I, I started to have a dream. And a dream led me to doing some research, some readings of scriptures and so forth. And then a, a good, healthy time, and this I would encourage you in this, a good, healthy time of meditation. You read something, you kind of got to chew on it. And the more you chew on it, the more you get out of it. And so I, the last few days, I've spent a lot of time um, going over the, these scriptures that we're going to talk about and meditating on it. And I think really what it, what it boiled down to, you remember a few weeks ago, Pastor um, did a message on last words for the last days. You remember that one out of Second Peter? And then some of, the, some of the words that have come forth lately, including from Nick and so forth, they've had, we, we know this is a year of breakthroughs and blessings, but there are things that we have to break through. There are some things that we have to break through. And so I've entitled this message, Stand, because there's going to be resistance. It's already building in the world, and we need to be able to stand, and having done all, to stand, as Paul wrote to the Ephesians. And so tonight, um, I'm going to start off with a, a little thing that a friend of mine sent me that he had in a, in a blog that he does, but this one paragraph jumped out at me about the way things currently are. He wrote, whole segments of society are now criminally insane. Brazen, open demonism is on the march in Western societies. They've put a whole new meaning to armies being on the offensive. It's as if Western society is in a boat on a river. The stream keeps picking up pace and the water keeps getting choppier. And is that the sound of a huge waterfall I hear up ahead? You see the headlines as much as I do. You see what's going on in the world, in the world as much as I do. But God is looking for people who are going to remain loyal, faithful. They're going to hang in there no matter what. And this kind of comes to the forefront when we go over into the book of Daniel and we see when 
Israel or Judah goes into exile to Babylon, there are some guys that go along on this, but they've got a whole different mindset. They're being taken captive, but they're not being taken for a ride, if you want to look at, you know, spiritually as far as that goes. They're holding fast. They're standing firm in their beliefs. You could classify them as, part of, as being part of a remnant that was going through, going through this whole process. And you know who I'm talking about. But I want to preface, before I get to that, I want to point out something that in the New Testament gets spoken to us regarding these kinds of things. First Peter and chapter 1, verses 3 through 7 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away and is reserved in heaven for you who are kept, kept, kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice now, though for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Through faith, persevering for the salvation that's ready to be revealed at the last time. What is that salvation? The resurrection of your body. The, res the final component of the plan of salvation is because whom he justified... He sanctified, and then he did what? Glorified. If Christ in you is the hope of glory, what's the glory? For us, resurrection. The fullness of resurrection. The resurrection of the body. Hallelujah. So, there's something here. There's obviously some opposition wants to keep us from getting to that. Now, let's just go back to Daniel, and we'll take a look at the Old Testament, and we'll talk a little bit about the New Testament. So in Daniel, we meet our friends. They have been taken captive. This is the first invasion by Nebuchadnezzar into Judah. He hasn't destroyed the temple, but he's plundered it. He's taken things back to put in his museum to his God. And he's taken some people along with him, and these are special people. These are people who are uh, they're smart, they're um, members of perhaps of royalty. Um, it includes not just Daniel and, and I'm not going to say Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's Hananiah, um, Azariah, and Mishael. Those are their Jewish names, their God-given names, if you want to call it that. They're with him. And so is Ezekiel. Ezekiel's along in this trip as well. But we're not going to hear from him tonight. <laughs> okay, so they are taken back to Babylon, and they are recognized as being special. And so these young guys 
get a special, get a free ride into King's College in Babylon. So they are taken into the house of the king. The king instructs Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, four young men in whom there are no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge, and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. So what is test number one for these guys? Babylon is the Borg. Resistance is futile. The first thing that's part of that is assimilation. They're wanting to assimilate them into Babylonian culture, the, way, the Babylonian way of life, and that's why they change their names. They give them Babylonian clothes. They give them Babylonian uh, accommodations, and they give them, and as we all know, they want to give them Babylonian food. And these three guys say, we're not going to eat anything unclean. We're not going to violate the law of our God. We're just not going to do it. They've decided to do what? Take a stand. Now, Nebuchadnezzar is not a guy to be taken lightly. So, and Ashpenaz knows this, and he says, look, if you guys don't eat, the king's going to be after me, and I'm probably going to be in deep trouble. And so Daniel says, hey, listen to this. We'll eat our vegetables, and y'all can eat your pig and everything else that they, were, they happened to be having that they didn't want to eat. And I tell you what, if in 10 days we don't, look good to you or we're not it doesn't look like it's happening then then we then we'll do something else so he says okay and so he keeps checking on them and the story goes is at the end of that period of time they were better looking in better shape and healthier than the ones who had eaten the king's provisions so they 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 passed the test of resisting being assimilated into the Babylonian culture. Test two comes in Nebuchadnezzar's dream. This one, Nebuchadnezzar is, he's really kind of a cagey. He's cagey and mean. <laughs> That's all I can say. So he has this dream. You've read the book of Daniel, right? You've read the book of Daniel, right? <laughs> he's had a dream, and he sees this big statue. And it's got a head of gold. It's got shoulders of silver and you know, bronze, and then on down to iron and, iron, and then iron and clay mixed with the feet. And he doesn't know what this is all about. So he calls all the wise men. He calls all those together that he has in his court. His guys and... I like the description of some of these guys that he says to them they are wizards and sorcerers and all of that, that kind of thing, and they're supposed to come and be his advisors and his counsel. Now, this is no different than today. Today, we just call them analysts and experts <laughs> and 
con men. Okay, so it's, it's not, it's, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. So we're seeing some of this that's going on here. He's, and the king says to them, you need to tell me my dream. And then their, their thought is, okay, so tell us what the dream is and we'll tell you what it means. And he says, no, 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 you need to tell me what my dream was. And then you can tell me what it means. And that's when they start to panic. Because despite all of their analysis and despite of all their expertise and despite of their conning abilities, they knew they were in deep yogurt. And so the king says, well, you aren't leaving me any choice. You don't do what I need. You're all going to be dead. Your houses are going to be pulled down. Oh, he's... Nebuchadnezzar's a rough guy. So they start to do that. He starts to have that done. Well, of course, Daniel and now Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, <clears throat> they get wind of it, and they, they're like, what are we going to do? And fortunately, Daniel and those three are smart enough to say, we better ask God. And so they had a prayer meeting. It's right there in the, in the book of Daniel. They got together, they prayed. Daniel went to his room, and Daniel had a dream. And Daniel's dream was what Nebuchadnezzar's dream was and what it was all about. And so Daniel's able to go to Nebuchadnezzar. He first says, first says to Ashpenaz, can you just give us a minute? <laughs> and can I see the king? And so he makes it possible for him to go and see Nebuchadnezzar and come before him. And he, of course, tells him what the dream is all about. So what happens is with regard to that? Then Daniel went to his house. He made the decisions known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they might seek the mercies of God of heaven concerning this secret so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision, so Daniel blessed the God of heaven and told it to Nebuchadnezzar. And what did Nebuchadnezzar do? You guys are awesome. Promoted them. Set them in high, exalted positions throughout the land of Babylon. And these are guys that came, were brought out of Ju Judah against their will, but the one thing that they had decided they were going to do, and that is to remain loyal to the God of Israel. We're not buying into this Babylonian BS. And so they stayed loyal to God, even under pressure and under trial that could have cost them their lives. But they stood firm. What is step or test number three. This is the big one. The fiery furnace. So Nebuchadnezzar again gets full of himself, builds another statue, solid gold, gets all the musicians, Nick, gets all the musicians together to play music, and the order is that when you hear the sound of the music, 
you're all going to bow down and worship this golden idol of Nebuchadnezzar. Well, Shadrach, Meshach are standing there. The time comes, the music plays, and they don't bow down. They're just standing there. Well, when you're standing there, when everybody else is bowing down, you stick out like a sore thumb. And so, of course, there's, there's always going to be some tattletale that's going to run and tell the king, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are not bowing down to your idol. King, what are you going to do about it? And so the king says, anybody who doesn't bow down to my idol, they're going to get thrown into a fiery furnace. And so they get hauled before Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar says, look, boys, I'm going to give you one more chance. So I'm going to have the orchestra play again, and I'm going to give you a chance to bow down before the golden idol, just like everybody else is. Peer pressure. Just like everybody else is. And if you do, great. But if you don't, it's going to get real hot. And they say, O king, we are not careful to answer you in this matter. It's, in, in other words, we don't have to think about this. We've already made up our mind. We're not bowing down. We're not going to bow down to that idol. And, and because our God is able to deliver us. And even if he doesn't deliver us, they, were, they really had it. They said, and even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down. And, of course, that was it. He has them taken, and they fire up the furnace. And I thought it was interesting in, in the word, especially in the SV, it's, it, when it comes to his response. He has the furnace, and the Holy Spirit really spoke to me about this, I thought. And when he did, it was, that was the aha moment. It was like, I never thought of that. That is awesome. He had the furnace heated seven times hotter than it had ever been heated before. What is the number seven? It's the number of perfection. It's the number of completeness. He made the perfect environment for God to show up. And he didn't even know it. It was so hot, it was killing the people that were being thrown, that were throwing them into the fiery furnace. And they bound up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego with all their clothes on and their hats on and everything else and put them in the fire. And then Nebuchadnezzar's looking back in there and he goes, hey, didn't we throw um, three men in there? And they said, yeah. He says, there's a fourth guy in there and he looks like the son of a god. And so he calls them out. He calls them out of the fiery furnace. And here we go again. It's not like he's angry and said, and let me think of some other punishment to give you. No, no. He is he is in awe of the fact that they have been delivered out of that fiery furnace. And so he then makes a declaration that the god 
of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is the true God. And if they don't want to worship my golden idol, that's okay with me. Loose translation, right, Nick? <laughs> uh, so by remaining loyal, they were preserved through several different situations because they didn't cave, because they stood, because they stayed firm in their beliefs and in their convictions, even in the midst of a trial. So that hot, this, this is what the thing is. When God shows up, how does he usually show up? How did he show up on the top of the mountain in Exodus? Fire. How did he show up to Moses? Fire. How does he show up in the New Testament on the day of Pentecost? Fire. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego... That's what I'm saying. You know, you, you want to talk about presence and atmosphere? Nebuchadnezzar didn't realize he was making the perfect atmosphere for the presence of God to show up. A God who dwells in the midst of clouds and darkness. Ezekiel's going to see him when he's by the river Kabar, and, and God shows him a vision of what's going on. What he sees is, it, to him, it looks like a storm, it looks like thunder, it looks like lightning, and it looks like fire. And it's God showing up in his, in his throne hot rod, throne chariot. But that's another story. So let's go a little closer to home and look at some of the things that are important as far as we are concerned. They were quick to acknowledge that in their situations, they didn't necessarily know what to do. In the New Testament, we get some advice from a very wise man by the name of James that says, You're gonna, you might be facing a fiery trial, but when you get in a bad situation, ask God for the wisdom. He'll give you the wisdom and, and he won't get, give you a hard time about it. He'll give you what you need to give you the answer that you need at the time. And then, over in the book of Revelation, we see this. And this is a counsel, this is a word that's given to a church that's neither hot nor cold. They think they're rich and increased in goods, and they don't have any particular need and don't realize that in the eyes of God they're naked, wretched, poor, and blind. So what's his advice to them? It's in Revelation 3, 18 through 22. He says to them, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. To those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. 
Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in to him and eat with him and he with me. Here you go, Nick. The one who conquers. The one who conquers. I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Gold gets refined in fire. What is gold representative of in the Bible? God's nature. We talked about it offering time. His divine nature. But gold has to be refined by fire. You know, another example in the Old Testament is in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Children of Israel finish their time in the wilderness. They're getting ready to cross over and go into across the Jordan and go into the Promised Land. And Moses is delivering his famous 30-some chapter <laughs> sermon. But one component in that is that when they were traveling through the wilderness, it wasn't without a purpose. God tells Moses, I brought them out there to prove them. God doesn't need them to prove anything to him. He already knows, but they needed to be proved, proven in what they were walking in and how they were walking. So, faith gets refined, if you will, gets made better when it's tried and it's tested. So, don't, that's why Peter says, don't think it's strange when you fall into fiery trials or anything like that. Maybe it was James. They both have something to say about that. <clears throat> Don't think that's strange when it comes. But the thing that you need to keep in your mind is that you need to hang on to your faith and you need to remain loyal to Jesus Christ no matter what comes your way. And, be, and if you do, then those exceeding great and precious promises we talked about over there, God's got them ready and he will deliver. And he will deliver. So those who remained faithful throughout all this mess that Israel was going through and so forth, when you get over to some of the prophets, when you get over to Malachi, when you get over to Zephaniah, and, and some of the other things, ones that the girls quoted up here, <laughs> God tells them, yeah, I'm not real happy with you, and there's going to be some things that happen, but there's going to be a few of you who's who are going to get it. Not in a bad way, but in a good way. You're, you're going to get the fact that if you stay loyal to me, if you hold fast with me, you're going to come out like pure gold. The purest of gold. So when the world is going crazy all around you, and when we're being pressured to conform to the things of the culture and of society. They want us to do this. They want us to act that way. They want us to accept this. They want us to believe that. And oh, by the way, when it comes to your Christianity, be quiet. Keep it to yourself. 
don't say anything. It's not a public thing. It's a private thing. Well, tell that. Tell that to Peter. He had a tendency to make it a public thing. In the marketplace, in the, in the temple. And of course, yeah, he got arrested. In Acts chapter 5, you can read it there. They hauled him in and said, they did it twice. They hauled him in the first time and said, stop talking about that. And they said, now get out of here. So they, went, they got out of there and they went right back. And what did they do? Right back in the temple. They started talking about it again. They started telling about the gospel of Jesus Christ and what had happened. And, this and, that. and they rounded him up again. And they took him back in before the council of the Sadducees. These guys are really whack jobs. They, I'm sorry, they are. You know, dig around in the Second Temple period, you find out where they came from and why they're there. They actually had quite a bit of power at one time, and now they're trying to hang on to it. And so they've hauled them in there, and they, we don't want you talking about Jesus. We don't want you out there doing the things that you're doing. But while they're doing that, there's a Pharisee standing over at the side. And his name's Gamaliel. You remember him? Paul said, I've been trained by Gamaliel. And so he's standing over at the side and he said, you know what? Because the Pharisees, the Pharisees are all about control. They're all about the temple. Remember when they, when they came and asked Jesus, do you pay the temple tax? And he said, yeah, sure, give me a fish. <laughs> and he gets the coin, pays the temple tax, just like he renders to Caesar what's Caesar's. But these guys were all about the temple. The temple this, the temple. That's why they were so upset when, he, when Jesus said, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. And that's when he said, he's going to destroy the temple. He's mad. He's crazy. And so they're all wound up about that. But Gamaliel, who's a Pharisee, they hold more to the Torah. And he said, guys, guys, slow it down. Slow it down. We've been through this before. There have been other people who've come along and said, hey, there's going to be a king, and this one was raised up, and then somebody killed him, and then there'd be somebody else who came along, and they'd, they'd try to do something, some kind of insurrection or whatever, and they'd get put down. He said, just, just, just leave him alone. Just leave him alone. Because this will probably die on its own. He says, but if it's of God... You ain't going to be able to do anything about it. And so they whooped him a little bit and let him go. And what did they do? Right back out there. Right back at it again. Hallelujah. Everybody's looking at the times that we're living in and and. and we probably are near the end. I don't know. But what is going to matter at the, end, at the end of the day? I'm talking about the day of the Lord. What's going to, be matter, what's going to matter to him is, did you stand? Did you stand? 
Did you stay true or did you cave? You know what? It's hard to know. I've always thought about, you know, the, the, the ones who were martyred and so forth. Even in modern day times when, when they're captured and hauled into prison and, you know, they're, they're basically pressured, just recant. Just say it's all a, a lie and all that and we'll let you go and this and that and the other thing. Probably all lies anyway. But just, just give it up. And they don't. And some of them are killed. And I often wondered, if it was me, what would I do? I talked about this with a, a good friend of mine. He's gone home to be with the Lord now. One time I said, Cal, we were talking about this thing. He says, we won't know till we get there. So I don't want to make this sound, sound real heavy because we are not as those who don't have hope. And God was always trying to get that across to, to Israel and to Judah. There's going to be a rough time here. and You're going to have to endure some things. But on the other side of it, for those who, who remain true to me and so forth, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. But you have a role to play in the breakthrough. You got to hang in there. You got to remain true. You got to stand, and having done all, to stand. And it's not like you're ill equipped. Right? Ephesians chapter 6. We got the whole armor of God. We can quench the fiery darts of the devil. We've got the sword of the Spirit. We are well, we have to have a Joshua and Caleb spirit within us that says, We are well able. We are well able to take the land, to do what God wants us to do. And you know what? We are well able. Paul, Paul said it himself you're, You are, not including himself, you're all able ministers of the gospel. You are enabled. You are given the ability because God grants those things. We get the power, the ability, and the adaptability to get wealth. To what end? To further the kingdom. To further the kingdom. Because the kingdom, as Jesus said in his day, over in Matthew in the fourth chapter, it's the kingdom has come near. There's an element to the kingdom of God that has, that's already here. Jesus came. He initiated the kingdom of God. But it hasn't reached its fullness yet. Because Paul says in his writings, the fullness of the Gentiles hasn't come in yet. And when that happens, because God's fulfilling a promise to whom? That's right. I heard it, Doug. Abraham. 